0: the fires of hell have taken me what would you have done differently I can't remember the joy that life has gifted me i'm broken up on the inside tell me what would you have done oh uh-huh. well what i would have done is just killed him from the start oh uh-huh. i'm mo and i'm austin you're gonna keep it up aren't you uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> today we talk role-playing and dm styles on this episode of dungeons and birds That was absolutely hilarious <laughs> yeah so
1: full disclosure mo was just like i have an idea for this i'm yeah. gonna do some serious role-playing and you just say something dumb and that was the first thing that came to mind so didn't make you didn't mad- <laughs> you lost me man i yes i am a warlock to Maman, the patron of greed for the uh, for the archdevils Wow, yeah. that kind of works. Yeah, uh-huh.
0: yeah. <laughs> does he look like? <laughs> does he look like King Disney or whatever the heck it yes, is?
1: It, technically, Walt Disney World is his layer.
0: It so. is. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely yeah. the nine layers of hell. I yeah. uh
1: but no. When we, they keep
0: his frozen body, Ness, That's where Nessus is. Yeah. Oh,
1: we God. are so excited to be back for another episode, uh, episode nine on the official episodes uh, here. And we're going to be talking about DM styles and role-playing on this episode. But before we get into that, as always, we have a brew
0: to review Ooh, let's go ahead and check it out we went with outside brewing and we've done a, i believe an outside or two here on this a lovely podcast of ours but uh we went with a bean flicker it's a coffee blonde ale here it i believe on um, the percentage is 4.5 so it's about the same as a bud light so yeah, fairly easy drink. yeah very yeah uh let's go ahead and check it out uh shall we do the regular a one a two a three whenever i open one of my beers let it be known guys i it goes everywhere. <laughs> wow, that's really good. If you, if you like coffee taste, like if you're a big coffee taste,
1: which I am, I love coffee taste. I, same, same. Yeah, that is a really, It sits really light, and it's a nice coffee taste, but it doesn't sit on your tongue.
0: There's got to be caffeine in it, right, of some sort.
1: Mm, I feel like they would have to tell you that. I don't. I don't
0: oh anything. yeah, because otherwise yeah, it just be like... notes
1: of like vanilla and chocolate. Okay, and stuff, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think that's more of like what, what we're getting. That's really oh. good. But it is delicious. Highly recommend that one. But as we said in our intro, our topic for today, it's going to be DM styles and role-playing. So we had a few questions in our fireside chat that we did. Speaking
0: like. of which, guys, go check out that episode. We had so much fun doing that. We really appreciate it. We kind of did it. A- extremely last second. I'm pretty sure Brewmaster Austin, I was talking to you while I was driving in a car. Mm-hmm. I was like, can you quickly go ask the, the Discord group mm-hmm. if they would be down? Mm-hmm. So thank you all. Uh, everyone that jumped in. Like I like your your friends, uh, people that we've never met, people that randomly just jumped in to our chat. It was so much fun. And yes, Brewmaster's uh, mic. Uh, uh, Brewmaster Austin's mic sucks. So, you know. Yeah, we were working on it. Yeah. Um,
1: but we will probably do some more episodes like that in the future. I have gotten a lot of positive feedback uh, from a couple of people um, on that episode, and we'll obviously do a better job of yeah. you know announcing <laughs> it so that people yeah. can be there uh, you know for it. But like we said, DM styles is the first kind of part of the topic for today. And as we were prepping for today, I found an article on D and D Beyond. So for even for those of you who do use D and D Beyond, I don't know if uh, you guys look through the articles very often. There are quite a few good ones written by people who have experience from. Uh, a lot of different uh, you know, versions of D&D. There are people there that are officially from D&D Beyond to put out help uh, guides and things, and some of them are really helpful and really well written. Extremely helpful. Some of them are like, okay, that's a little obvious. Yeah. But <laughs> this one was one that I found, and it was What's Your Dungeon Master Style? And essentially this person broke down um, DMs into two main categories and then some subcategories. So the yeah. two main categories were Plotter and Improv. So, with the plotter, very Uh, easy. Let's,
0: real quick here, Brewmaster, just so, uh, just in case, uh, the article is called What's Your Dungeon Master Style? And it was written by Riley Silverman. Uh, Like, we quickly glanced at it right before uh, we started uh, recording today. And wow, we were extremely impressed by it. So, uh, sorry there, Brewmaster. No, you're good.
1: No, you're good. Yeah, definitely shout out to uh, Riley on this one. It's a really well done article, even though there are some points that I typically disagree with, but I think it's really well written. So uh, I'm going to talk on the first one, the plotter. The, this is someone who you write, what you write is kind of what is law. Like a lot of like the room descriptions and things are probably numbered out. Um, you have, you know, int- you're writing things in anticipation of what your players might do. So you're writing like nine different storylines just in case like they do don't take this plot hook. They end up saving the ma- maiden. They kill the maiden. Like, you know, whatever, it, you know, is going to be. Um, you put in a lot of out, side work on it and it probably reflects in the game the game is yeah. really well done um and very very uh you know well thought out um uh, but you definitely probably put in more effort
0: than the improv oh yeah i uh it, improving can be tough right like i think i think but that's again that's me like i uh, I could sit there and say it's tough for me, but you know, I, I tend to be one of the other, again, we'll break it down later on, but uh, you'll see it later on. I'm the novelist. I'm telling you, that's exactly what I am again. Well, once we get to it guys, we'll break it down for you. But that's kind of like the the plotter. Uh, There's also the uh, pantser as they put it in their lovely article here. But uh, basically it's the spiritual opposite of the plotter. Uh, The pantser is named for the way that they uh, fly by the seat of their pants. Right. So like, I just, I can't do the improv thing. I just can't do that. Mm. Uh, So Let's uh, let's look at a let's take a little little bit deeper dive into the article here. Now they start really breaking it down into some, uh, many other like six other mini subsections here. I'm gonna uh, run by them here real quick. We have the number cruncher, the rule sage. I think we've kind of mentioned that before on the podcast before. Uh, the vibe checker, the beer holder, the novelist, and the taxi driver. Basically, if you had to equate them with anything, these are subclasses. These are subclasses that kind of break things down a little bit more. Uh, so let's take a look at the number uh, number cruncher here, Brewmaster Austin. Uh, so basically, they're the rules is written person, right? They're the person who goes. It's chiseled in stone, as the uh, Riley Silverman put it uh, in their article here. But it's it's written down. This is the way it should be. Uh new source book or all that other stuff can adjust it, but this is where you start seeing that kind of change. Uh, We've talked about this, how it is important to be a little bit of the number cruncher, right? right. To incorporate some sort of structure thing, because otherwise it's chaos for the sake of chaos. And we all know what players will do to your campaign if you give them an itch. So.
1: Right. This is far more akin to what I attribute to old style D&D, older editions, dungeon crawling DMing. So this is something where, especially in like one shots, I find myself to be more of a number cruncher, because you can't obviously give too much choice on a one shot. Like you, you're there for a session. If you let the players choose, they're going to be, you know, off doing some random thing, and they'll never get to what you're going to do, and it's kind of defeats the purpose of it being a one shot, right? But a lot of, um, you know, older D and D editions are far less forgiving. On players and player mistakes and really hyper value optimization and, and that kind of thing. And I think this sort of DM style would lean to that. would lean to like a dungeon crawl where you're doing like, hey, we're going to do a 15 session old school hexagon dungeon crawl, and we're going to just slog through encounter after encounter after encounter. And yeah, with those kind of campaigns, because combat is solely the focus, it makes sense
0: to be you know a number cruncher so and that's that's the number cruncher and that's again you've mentioned it that this is kind of i think i've seen parts of this in your style (laughs) it depends (laughs) he went 50 50 in his hand i don't
1: i don't adhere to things so strictly like we talked on our dm fudging dice rolls things and that i will fudge occasionally, right yeah but I do think that there are, especially if I know that what's upcoming is like series of combats and like the whole purpose is the, of the combats is not, they're not story driven. They're just to like give the players like something to do something to achieve. I'm going to be a little more number crunchy on it because like story ones, you know, I might bend and twist because like there's a narrative.
0: You should. There's a narrative. But like, it, 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 when it comes to those story ones too, I, and again, this is again my own style uh, obviously coming out here, but when it comes to that, like it's, you could, it's narratively satisfying to me. Like to mm-hmm. me, it's the narrative that I'm building mm-hmm. with the players, right? So I think that that kind of changes there. But uh, that kind of uh, pushes us into the next plot. Bl- yeah, class, side so yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of the counterpart to the rules layer.
1: So while the number cruncher is more of like, think of like the min maxer of DMs, The rules sage is the rules lawyer of DMS. So these are people that would know every single class ability, the multiple, you know, different spell components. They can tell you what page it is. They can probably probably tell you a few of the pages on it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But this is also a DM style that is very useful for new players, and this is actually something I do for my new player campaigns. So the two that I'm running right now, up until up and through level five. So through level five. I am kind of a rule sage. I will remind you about your rage. I'll remind you about your rage bonus. I'll remind you about your spells. I'll remind you about sneak attack. I'll remind us about your bonus action. You know, I'll remind you about all of these different things. But I tell people from day one, baby D&D with the training wheels will come off at some point. So at that point, I'm not going to remind you to rage. If you forget to rage, like, you forget to rage. That's it.
0: You're going to get you hit.
1: Know. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean that I, like, you're like, oh, hey, like, one turn has gone by. No one attacked me. Can I... I forgot to use my bonus action. Could I... I probably would still allow that. Like, yeah. I'm not militant on that aspect of Unless it. Unless
0: it's been one full turn and or all of a Or if you've yeah. been hit, I'm yeah. not
1: going to allow it because now it's too... You know, now you've been affected. All right. yeah. You know, a different thing. But it's definitely... This is how I DM for new players because it's... it's I've found that you need that almost expert at the table. Otherwise you like you said before, you kind of devolve into not a lesser form of DD, but something that's just purely kind of off the rails and it's hard to control. And you kind of need that not stern hand, but just that knowledgeable base to make sure like, hey guys, like while your idea is really cool, you can't do that all in one turn, but here's some ways that you could make it happen in two. Or, you know, hey, you only have one action, you already did this. But next turn, you could totally do that if you want. Like, you know, just to keep the game moving because otherwise you're going to have players that want to, you know, do like a spinning kick attack and throw firebolts and do the directions, but Correct. they're a level yeah. one wizard. You know, like, yeah. it's like, okay, no, it's, you have a limitation. There are mechanics, you know, to the and game. And that we should follow them. Right, exactly.
0: A rule a rule sage is, is needed occasionally at the table. And that kind of leads us to the next, uh, the next one, which is kind of like the... The counterpoint to the rules lawyer and we talked about it before uh the the rule sage that is but we talked about it before it's it's the vibe checker mm-hmm. it's they're served as loose guidelines rules are established to be, be being served as loose guidelines at the table right right just because it says this way in the book we're not going to stop the game and session to go flipping through the page and go okay it's this and this is technically how it works you kind of do it with what feels right Stephen Colbert always talks about like that feely emotion right mm-hmm. it's what feels right at the table and I I think I do this one quite a bit. I, I will sometimes go, okay, I understand that that's how you think uh, it's it's going, but uh, right now for this session and at this moment, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I know I've done this one as well. And I think a vibe checker is needed to make those quick concise calls, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, how can we quickly progress through this? We yeah. don't need to stop the session. We Combat already takes long enough. If you have yeah. three or four players, if you have three or four players and you're checking every single stinking rule at that point. Right. Combat's going to take three hours and there's your, there's basically your entire game. Right. So if you are a person who does enjoy the narrative side and the storytelling side, yeah. You know,
1: no, and I think this is definitely this and I'm kind of a mix between this one and rule sage um, in my more like typical D and D style. Like I do have a lot of rulings that I do by the book, but then there are a lot of things that I kind of homebrew. And like you said, spot of the moment, if like I'm liking the role P or combat's moving pretty good, like, you know, it's different if combat's been taking a long time for everyone's turn. I'm like, okay, I might as well. Like, I am I am not the reason that this combat is taking forever. Yeah. I might as well look it up and be correct, right? But if combat, if everyone's like, on it for that night and they're like hey i know exactly what i want to do this is what i want to do boom, boom 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 you're like those those few nights that are few and far between but they do happen i was
0: about to say you saw the face you know, i was they're, making they're like you know far between you know how rare that is that yeah. Yeah. Do happen yeah. so
1: you know on those nights yeah i'll make a snap judgment and then if we find out later that's not how it works be like hey going forward if it benefits the player i'm probably gonna keep ruling it that way and then you know next campaign will rule it differently but if it like kind of hurts the player you know you know I'll probably be like, eh, maybe not 50 Yeah, maybe not fifty-fifty.
0: Talk about the next one then, because this is one that I think uh, you and I probably have encompassed. This one, this yeah. is the beer holder. Yeah, Go it, ahead.
1: Yeah, the beer holder. So this is a person that
0: holds my beer, baby. Basically,
1: perfect... is the chaotic counterpart Cheers, of the my party. Brother. <laughs> so the you know the party wants to do this insane sort of plan that no way in world it works. But instead of like discouraging them. You're like, honestly, let's see what the dice do. Let's see, you know, maybe give them a shot. And these are people that will just let the antics go. And you'll get some very chaotic, crazy moments from it. So sometimes where I've been the beer holder, um, in one of the first ones I ran, my I gave my players a deck of many things. Oh my God, and you for whatever, didn't. And for whatever reason, while they had the deck, before they drew cards, like I was just like describing a random bar scene and I was like, Oh, there's just like a guy in like military garb. And they're like, What does he look like? And I didn't have any description ready. So I was like, he looks like Jack Nicholson and a few good men. And so one of my players is like, Oh, That's a fantastic oh. Movie. I was like, Oh, he looks like Jack Nicholson, does he like, you know, very very about it. But then like they basically he became friends with the party, and there was a card in there that switches because uh, it's a modified deck, it's like yeah. it switches the alignment of the character drawing it, and Jack drew it was lawful good. Like a military man, and became a chaotic, evil, like psychopath.
0: Oh my god! And so so that, he became Jack
1: Nicholson. Yeah, he became Jack Nicholson. Like he, he really devolved into it. And then there, you was, like, there, was, just this, like, there was you need me on <laughs> There was this bank heist, and like it ended up like with like the ritualistic suicide of a big portion of the town, and like there's it was just it went off the rails. But I was like, you know what? I'm gonna let this hat play out because while i know this is like this was kind of a throwaway town anyway like it what there was nothing really like important in this town it was kind of just like a place for them to rest so you
0: you burned it to the ground i was
1: like (laughs) if they want to burn it to the ground like there will be consequences for it later but i'll let them go with their plan like you know there's nothing there was nothing harmed by my story by the players having a bounty you know if anything it really kind of makes it better where you're like hey guys we've now got this dirt on you like if you don't want to spend the rest of your life in jail for the crimes that you've committed you have to save the kingdom from this dragon or something
0: do you know who i think does this extremely well when he does do it i think it is matt mercer right mm-hmm. when he says you can certainly try you can that, certainly try yeah you can certainly try he never dissuades there was never one forget the flying cows
1: from campaign yes
0: time. everyone always talks about the flying cows you know what i actually like to talk about mm-hmm. i like to talk about the Elden ring uh, ring one shot that they ran right what did they do The stacking horse mechanic, (laughs) right? So good. Brendan Brendan Lee Mulligan was on that episode. I'll never forget. They talked about, oh, you never stack a horse before. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's funny because he's like, yeah, you know what? Sure, we're basing this around a video game. Of course we could do it. But there's been other times and whether it was in campaign one, campaign two, Mm -hmm. the amount of times where they said they all have syphilis, right? Right, it was a big joke in campaign or like three. Like campaign
1: three, when they did the uh, the porn, the porn scene, yeah, the porn scene where he's like, <laughs> I'm ready for my
0: scene. <laughs> guys, if you ever need it, mind you, it would probably take you like three months to finish.
1: No, it, honestly, any. I, of- I had not. Wa- I had not been caught up at that point for yeah. that scene, and I saw the clip of it on TikTok. And it, even watching the clip separate from knowing what is, knowing what on was going campaign, on, yeah is hilarious it is so funny because you can watch matt the dm's face for those of you who don't watch critical role you can watch his face as the players just keep going down this hole and he's just like i've lost control but i'm gonna let it happen yeah because like it was so believable on the role play like so devil may care that you're like it actually could have worked you know i loved it
0: i loved it i loved it so much it's just that that is how vibe checker works right that is definitely how well uh, that's the beer that's the that's beer. the beer holder excuse me yeah, that's uh, that, that that is how they work now
1: the, the next one is more I think your this is your me. style um, which is a
0: dangerous about. thing so yeah. let me break it down to you guys here first basically I'm going to read it directly from the article because I think it does the most perfect of jobs here to break it down but again you have the novelist you've created it uh, you've crafted a dense uh, and intricate, uh, intricate narrative And you're excited to lay it out there over the course of the campaign. There's less room in your stories for wild player divergence because you have so much story to get to. You may create smaller, more malleable stories with a larger arc, which allows players to get to that sandbox style feel in a game. But overall, there's a big story unfolding and you'll get your players there. Dang it. No matter what. Now, basically what we're talking about here is the guy who, you know, writes his notes, which I do. I write them like a story, right? I am not saying that that must occur, right? There, if, if, a players, if players that I am telling you recently, and I confessed it to one of my players recently, I outright told them, that's not how I had it written. Mm. But what your guys' antics did at the table changed how I had to approach it mm. as well because that's kind of how I wanted to do it. But I was like, I'm wrong. Novelists work because you can be adaptable right you can change the story sure you could have an overarching principle right but you should be able to change those little side uh, quest stories right it's basically again like a side quest like in any other you know role-playing game in the entire world but being able to be a novelist and being able to lay it out there in that creation mythos in in the sense that hey i have the creation mythos right i have how this place was constructed i have guys i'm telling you if you guys ever get bored go like i'll show you i've literally written maybe 300 plus pages mm-hmm. on my world alone mm-hmm. and it's all backstory it's all history mm-hmm. that i've crafted and i love it and i, I will craft the way more.
1: the way that i've always like especially reading this article but the way i've always seen this at a dm style is almost very skyrimmy it is to me it because is. it's like you have the main campaigns like the main stories and stuff that are immutable right but then there are a lot of ones where like if you do the blades it affects this one You know, it affects another side quest, or this affects this side quest, or if you're part of the Dark Brotherhood, it affects this. You know, so there are some, like you said, malleable opponents. This is not necessarily how I DM. Um, It's actually more akin to how I was as a player uh, in my first campaign. I, I think I've mentioned it to Mo, but I've written like I had like a fifty-page journal that I wrote as like the perspective of the party for that whole campaign, basically as a way to like keep our notes together. Um, so that was more of like how I wasn't like now I don't do that because I, I do not have the time to to spend typing for four hours on a Sunday. But um,
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll lose your mind. <laughs> yeah, I will
1: lose. One. But uh, then the last style is called the taxi driver. Yep. And so this is someone that kind of you have the overarching world set up. You have big players, big potential plot hooks and things like that. But really, you're letting the players decide. So you're hopping in with a taxi driver and you're telling him the destination. And then you as the DM would be putting the side so attractions. You're like, oh, look, we passed the Empire State Building. That was cool. Like, oh, look, we're going through the Lincoln Tunnel. That was cool. Like you're kind of putting the cool things next to it, but you're getting the players to where they want to go. And it's far more sandboxy um it is in it and you're you are um going to invest a lot more in the characters on this side it's gonna instead of it being a balance between like lore of the world and lore of the character this is going to be far more character driven
0: and i think character driven is again we always talk about what D is at its true essence right it is all about you know cooperative storytelling right it's cooperative in the way that the dm and the player have both trust in one another but you regard now brewmaster austin you talked about it. which one is your style yeah
1: yeah i kind of go back and forth between like vibe checker and rule sage obviously there are yeah. some moments where i'm any other other other, other others like yeah. i think everybody if you are a good dm you adapt to what the feeling of the, table the players is at do that time. right yeah you know, I really do think there is a lot of adaptation, and there's a lot of setting expectation involved with this. But I think, for the most part, like I would kind of be like, a, like a vibe sage. I'd be like kind of in between those two. What a
0: badass subclass that should be, right? Vibe sage, what's up, bro? I'm gonna start. I guess. On yeah. <laughs> I, guess I guess calm like, emotions. baby. Whoa, it's, man. it's always great. about calm emotions. <laughs> nice battle, right now. Come on. I You got a nat 20 last time. It is time. I rolled it right here. Ready? Three, two, one. I rolled an 18. God damn it. Shout out to the two crew. <laughs>
1: so two, it is now seven to five.
0: That's the biggest separation we've had in a while. It's good to separate once. Oh, my God. They're starting to rise up there in the ranks. Yeah, <laughs>
1: but this was uh, the reason I kind of wanted to end with a taxi driver is that it's focusing on role play very heavily with the players. And I kind of wanted to, before we get into our our last little segment on the uh, world creation aspect, I wanted to touch on role play because we had uh, someone actually request role playing voices, like different things like that. How, what does one do, those sorts of things. And I want to say, first off, as a full disclaimer, you do not have to have a voice to be a good D&D player. So, nope. again, not you needed. you do not have to have a voice, you do not have to do a character voice, you don't have to. But, uh, if you listen to Nadpod, Jake Hurwitz's voice for Hard One is just his voice, but it's compelling because it he embodies it more than doing a voice. Is do you embody the character? Because there, I think, um, going actually going on TikTok, uh, there are a lot of different um clips and things that you can find from people who do voice acting lessons for free, like on TikTok but somebody that i found on youtube and is pretty big in the D&D community that has some really great videos is called xp to level 3. and he's he does a lot of random like skits and, and but one of the series that i really actually think is probably his best is the series on learning uh basically it's, i think it's called like learning tips from role players or like how to be a role player like or whatever but they use popular DD players like uh, people from Critical Role, like people from NatPod, and use these aspects of what makes them effective at the table and then how you could adapt those things to yourself because you're not expected to be Marisha Ray or, you know, Travis William or like or Matt Mercer or Matt Koval, or Brendan Lee Mulligan or, you know, Satine Phoenix or whoever. You're not expected yeah. because it's impossible because those are people who have a, a like a true gift. Like those are people that like, they embody this as like an art form. And so not saying you can't strive for that, but I don't think you should hold that bar to yourself.
0: And that's for every DM and that's uh, that goes for every player as well. Like Exactly like Boommaster Austin was talking about there. I think the misconception with D&D is everything has to be. And I used to do it when I, I played a couple of times. I, my paladin sounded like a big dumb guy, right? Like it, mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be. None of right. that is uh, needed.
1: Cliches are not bad with voices. No. And now I want to say, if you do want to get into using voices, like if you do want to do that, there are a lot of easy things that are not putting on a voice that can make your voice sound different. So what I mean by that is in the voice acting community, there are things like pace, and tone, sentence structure, word choice. Like there are things that can make your character sound one way or another. So using, you, our, have, like,
0: you have personal experience with this. This is you growing up over oh, the, You know, how did you put it so bluntly before? I, child I, there acting. it
1: is. <laughs> at least you're honest about That's it. Right. Yeah. And these are all things like, these are really things that they teach you out at the outset. So, one way that you can make it, Mo actually does, has done this voice a, a couple of times, is with slowing your pace gives you the illusion of stupidity. Yep. So if I'm saying the same sentence over and over, the pauses in the eyes seem like I'm straining for words. Yeah. Whereas you can speed that same sentence up and say, so you see sometimes that I might be speeding up my words, and it seems that I'm really excited, but I'm not doing anything different with my voice. I'm not like creating a voice. I'm not,
0: you became Bill Shatner for a second there. I I completely lost it. I'm not, I'm not doing like a Mickey Mouse. I'm not doing
1: a voice. It's speed is one of the easiest things. Like, uh, if you're making it breathy. So like for like an older individual, you can kind of oh, I remember
0: when I was your age. I, I was a my parade all the time. Oh, it was and called a VHS player. Oh. Like the amount of
1: breath that you're using in the voice also gives it vibrancy. Mm-hmm. So if you take less air, so like what me and Mo are doing, where you're kind of like pushing air through then changes how the voice is personified.
0: It's crazy to me. So you were taught a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so and like and this is a lot of stuff like some DMs we've just figured it out right over the years. So, how and did there's like people- take one one sentence and you could say it right. seven different ways and, and make it like four different like, characters. You
1: have like people that, you know, when you wanna sound aggressive, like what is the most easy way to sound aggressive is to add like a
0: gruff to your voice. Yeah. I am angry, I am fierce.
1: And you can, you, you know, everybody. Anytime knows, somebody does an
0: Asmodeus well, impersonation. Right, and, yeah.
1: and it's like, and everyone knows how to do that because everyone's cleared their throat before. Mm-hmm. Everyone's been like, that same motion that you're using and talking, like these are all things that you can do, everyone can do. And they add dynamics to your voice. So like some people often ask me um, at the table, like when they're trying to like role play a character that has really high intelligence. It's like, I don't, I don't have that vocabulary. It's like, no, it's not about the vocabulary. It's about how you, you present it and how you say it and how you present can, it, yeah. It's like, I can say a sentence and talk about how important my work is. Or I can talk about the brevity and profound greatness of all that I strive for in the autistic You, They mean the same thing. And both of them sound important. You do not have to have that vocabulary to do it. It obviously helps. Sure. But like it's all about really thinking about How those voices sound. What makes a voice sound intelligent? It's, you know, confidence. It's, you know, the correct pacing, no stuttering. Yeah. What makes a voice sound timid? It's I, uh, you know, it's almost soft,
0: breakable, breakable. So I think I think of a lot of like honestly like Winnie the Pooh stuff, right? Like Mm -hmm. think about it when Eeyore would be speaking, right? Hey, hey, Pooh, right? You can hear the sadness in the voice, even oh, Eeyore. uh, that that's oh your bowler oh bother oh bother <laughs> the wonderful thing about tigers is I'm the only one <laughs> yeah i used to love that like that yeah. was yeah but, yeah, but yeah, like it's, it works
1: it is and it's and there i, I just want to
0: encourage and also to... it doesn't work because it's mm-hmm. not needed again we cannot emphasize right. that enough if you want to play at a table dms if the biggest thing curious dms right <laughs> right you don't need a voice. If you want to have every shopkeeper sound and look alike, it doesn't matter. Players will you understand do, like, you're DMing. You already of, have a hard well, job.
1: The easiest ways to do it too. If you're somebody that doesn't have a wide range of voices or you don't like doing voices or whatever, think about video games and how there's always the same shopkeeper. So like, you know, one that me and one of my friends always was like, what do you buying? I knew
0: what you were going to say. What are you selling? What are you selling? And so you can see, are you and you
1: see, you can have the same mystical shopkeep be every shopkeep in your world. And that's completely fine. Yeah. And you have, you have magic to explain why he's the shopkeep everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's all different versions of himself or, or clones or whatever. Like you, you can really make it anything. And that way you don't have to use a voice that you may not have
0: nurse joy are Um, are we literally talking about nurse joy yeah nurse joy (laughs) oh my god what a great example yeah
1: but but basically like it's it's not questioned you don't have to worry about it now that said the pacing the tone the style the word choice all those things matter you can get into doing accents or trying to create voices if you want to do it it is something that takes practice it is not something that you are going to like if No matter what, you're not going to walk into the mirror and be able to talk with a perfectly fine British accent the first time. It is something that requires you to work and perfect both the pronunciation as well as things like rubbish instead of garbage cans. An absolutely atrocious form
0: of a butchery of the English language. Wow, that's a great dwarf impersonation there. It is a beautiful dwarf impersonation, (laughs) and
1: I all praise to Morton. Um, But it's all joking aside you have to be gentle with yourself learning accents because even somebody that is good at impressions doesn't get it right the first time. Like even, you know, uh, what is Seth MacFarlane who does all, like can do everybody in Family Guy does all of these voices. You can give him, be like, do this impersonation he's never done before. He's not going to be able to just go and do it. Like that's not how that works. It's a practice thing. And the easiest way that I've found, if you want to do a specific voice. So if you want to be like, I want to be, do christian bale's batman or i want to do heath ledger's joker or whatever it is is you need to try to repeat the lines of whatever the movie or the show or the song whatever it is and if you can do those sentences you then learn how those vowels consonants how their pacing works and that gives the impression more things
0: so like you are actually enjoying that so uh have you seen the movie australia uh, it's, it's got nicole kidman in it it's got he uh, 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 Hugh jackman but uh they sing a song somewhere over the rainbow in it right but i can't do an australian accent to save my life but what i do in the movie because they sing it so many times i know how to sing it like that so i'll start going somewhere over the rainbow i can get the pronunciation my my vowels pick up the way that, that it should right? Because I can't do an Australian accent. I, I love accents. You and I talk about it. Right. And
1: like, that's um, yeah. one of the easiest ones to do. something it's like that. Like Irish is one of the easier ones because there's so much Irish music out there. Yeah. So you can listen to me like, come over the hill, me bunny, Irish lass. And then you're already in the voice and you're talking and it's great. And you don't have to oh worry gosh. about it anymore. And me and my father, we're going to, you know, you can already do that's really the voice. Good. <laughs> you can already do the voice. And, it's, and what I was saying with like movies and stuff, like if you want to do like there's two levels of, imperson- of impersonations, right? There's getting the voice, and then there's getting the persona. Yeah. And if you want to get the voice, repeating the lines will help you get the voice.
0: You've done it in your world, I assume. Uh, yeah. You've done it in, uh, in your settings, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Like
1: yeah. I've like so like one that I actually borrowed from Matt um, was I, I don't remember what specific abomination he used it for, but he had a voice that was very like. It was coarse, whispery, breathy, all at the same time. And I took that kind of so a Vecna. I think it was Vecna. Back back his Vecna back
0: back. is so, so good. I, I yeah. did
1: it for I used it for my fates in my Rome campaign that I did. I used it for like the idea of the fates. Like, we are the fates. Yes. Yes.
0: Fates! <laughs> Watching you, watching SMU. Uh, so, you, if you, and you may remember this, uh, you remember the Emmett Selk video that you sent me from Final Fantasy 14? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh Great uh, actor, uh, the guy who did it. But I took that voice and I practiced a lot of his lines, like, You do not deserve to be here. Your existence, right? And I made him a character. Uh, right. basically in my world, a level 20 wizard, which fits with his personality, right? Exactly. right? And But it's it's that little thing, like uh, that character embodies what I want to uh, create and that I practiced that line. Yeah. I said those lines. I became that character right. and, and I spoke with that demeanor.
1: And that's why it's so like, it is a trial by fire sort of thing. It is a process. And I think, yeah, I think the main thing for voices is that if you work on the first things like the pace, the tone, the style, the sp- you know the speed of which your words come out, um, you know, stutter, not stutter, word choice, all of these things can make impressions. Breathy, not breathy. High, low. Like they can, you know, you can say the way you
0: sit in the seat. Like right, let's not everything. even forget that yeah. it is your physical body language, everything. right? Whenever I can do, there's a character in my campaign. His name is Mr. C. Right? He's an arrogant asshole right and how do i sit whenever i uh, do it with him i lean back into my chair my head Mm. picks up right i kind of start swirling my hand because he's always having some sort of wine drink and element things like that but that's what it really takes to craft it there that's what it really takes to become those characters because when you do all of a sudden you understand a little bit more about the character you understand how you want to say it and how you want to speak to it there so
1: right no, I, I 100% agree. And I think this would be a good spot to pause on this topic. If there are more questions on specific, like how to do specific voices, we could do bonus episodes on like how to let do us know, guys, if check out something you want to learn uh, specific. But I would recommend looking up XP to level three. I also would looking on TikTok. There's a lot of great uh, TikTok accounts that do exercises on how to change pace on how to change breathy. Um, but I think now is a great time to get back into
0: everyone's favorite game show where you turn your brain into Mind Flayer, mush and let your two charismatic, ch- charming voices with the choices DMs design a world with a little input from you. And I think we've almost reached the crescendo here. Yeah, we are, at Austin. The peak yep. here.
1: Um, so we, and what I say by the peak is we are going to be having you, some of the listeners here, playing in this campaign. So we've shown you the basic tools on a lot of stuff. Today is probably going to be the last new tool that I show on here. And then I will kind of do a summary episode maybe next time uh, to kind of show you like everything we did went through. But for today, we've established this like kind of royal family. And I want I had some questions about like, hey, we're doing a democracy-wise royal family. Think very England aspect. The royal family has no real actual power but as a figurehead they're very important and even as a figurehead they control you know loyal loyalty of lots of different people they control you know different aspects of maybe like a public image of strength of unity uh, you know there are so many things that you can use you know that sort of dynamic for. and you can also have the same tensions that there are around you know the english royal family like where they're like wait why are we paying for all these royals who live this you know this lavish lifestyle, when they don't really do anything. Well, know? we could do it in, in the kingdom. But you of, can, but you can yeah. do either or. You can make them important. You can make them not. I think.
0: But, I think what's really interesting, especially with the, with the world of the kingdom of Hersey at this point, that we have done very well is that yeah, we could. We're, we're probably going to do something like that. I'm okay with crafting the world like that. I would then almost say make the press kind of public enemy. If you want to pull from the real world. Mm-hmm. Make that clashing with the press and the obsession with the royal family be mm-hmm. everywhere. The press kind of reports on them, but they like to maintain privacy and things like that. You have that uh, that idea with uh, with the uh, with the, the king and queen. Uh, God, what do we call them again? It's the Smarts. What am I talking about? It's yeah. the Smarts. Yes, the kingdom. Uh, you know, it's the kingdom of Hersey, but it, they are the royal family of the Smarts, right? Smarties. I God, I'm an idiot. But it works. So I think I think from there, L. Speaking of which, before I forget, and we get, should probably include this on here, we decided the natural barrier. We did a poll. Uh, someone, yeah. uh, We had a couple of people uh, sit there and say, okay, oh, we're going to do mountains. Yeah, mountains the, it
1: makes it very, it's very dwarf. It's very dwarf, yeah. Part. And so this is what I want to focus on today, is in your campaign, depending on, again, how grand do you want this campaign to be? So on the first episode, when we were kind of limiting our structure, our scope, I believe I told you when we got to Caramel, this would be good for players pretty much up to up to and through level eight nine ten yeah, like you usually the way I like to see it is you save you know villages or hamlets at levels like one you know one through four ish you know you might save a small town at levels up to you know seven, and then once you're getting into eight nine ten you're starting to save like bigger towns bordering on cities like you're starting to save the region you're you're dealing with regional issues, and so this is something that you know in the dm's guide there is a table for you to roll like what the major plot hook is like what is the overarching you know that is going to be driving the campaign i'm not obviously going to reveal that to you here because there are people that will be playing that will then ruin the fun of what i have planned um He's
0: going to burn the kingdom to the ground. But it has things
1: like trade disputes. It has things like a missing noble, you know, it gives you the ability to roll randomly so you do not have to create anything. And as we've discussed several times, we've mentioned some small plot hooks to get the players started, right? Well, now you need to think big scope because at some point in the campaign, there is going to be a need to save the realm. Yep. And you think of the whole country as the realm. And that's pretty much for layer, players like 10 plus. You're probably going to be 10, 15, 16. Because then once you're 16, you're saving like the actual plane, like the universe. The multiverse, the multiverse yeah. You're basically fighting at that level. so powerful. That, so really up to about a level 15, you would save the realm um, as a as an account. And what sorts of things would want to harm dwarves? You're like, ah, you know, typically like orcs, like they have a very natural hatred of one another. Uh, you know, the Drugar that we've mentioned before. Drugar they would are, actually be a very good one. They, yeah. are, they are, you know, they have all of the reason to dislike the dwarves. And they are, um, you know, uniquely situated to know how to fight the dwarves, right? Because they once were dwarves themselves. Uh, things like Mind Flayers are also a great one. Like Mind Flayers are, we haven't done a deep dive into them, but are always trying to reestablish this empire that they once had, this illithid empire. Um, so they're great master manipulators. Things like Arakshasa impersonating one of the royal family. Um, very, you know, very good. Like there are so many things, like a, chang- a changeling, you know, that uh, killed like the soon to be prince and is now, you know, now has been crowned as using that position in like a very, interesting. you know, what, there are so many different ways for you to use the internal structure that we've set up to bring in external actors. But you need to ask yourself, when planning the external factor for your campaign, right, what is its purpose? That's the main question, is is it to destroy the realm, control the realm, or like rip it of what's valuable? Yeah. Those are pretty much the big three. Obviously, there are other reasons like revenge and things like that, but those are the big three, like destroy um, control or take. That's pretty much the big three reasons that somebody would invade a country. Right. So do, are we talking about resources, yeah. which for a Dwarven community, I think is the best way to go about it. I think what I have involved for that would probably focus because Dwarves are so crafting based. So, you know, resource based as both a religion, um, that we'll talk about on our bonus episode on the Mon uh but also just in the stereotypical D&D lore, it would make sense yeah. that they would have maybe some rare access to a large deposit of mithril or some sort of ancient gem or mystical stone, like in Whitestone with critical role. Like Correct. You can make it anything, and you can make it related to the the dynamic of the realm, but those are pretty much the big three reasons as to why an outside force might be interested in the country because you have to give it some reason. Otherwise, your bad guy, your big bad, feels flat.
0: Yeah, it, it won't, it won't, it won't fit the story, or it won't fit the narrative. Right. Yeah, it needs to connect to the story. I think, I think we're almost. I think that that's it. We're gonna do a big uh, in the next episode, guys. I think we will do a big crafting of like kind of everything that we have yeah, already. We're do a
1: wrap up, a proper send off, correct, and then it will be on me to finalize the campaign get it all ready to go and then we'll be looking for some wonderful players to
0: yeah i think uh will maybe we'll set up another uh you know contest speaking of which here before we wrap up to the end of the episode here uh we do have our current contest going on guys we are giving away i'm sure you guys heard already but the dm's guide and the player's handbook to one of our lucky listeners here so if you uh, competition
1: will be going all through november you need to go to our instagram like comment, follow, um, on that. And that will automatically enter you. We're not doing like a multiple entries thing, but you know, please definitely tag people, um, in it to the more people that we get, um, following on there, the more of these sorts of giveaways that we can do, um, and make it, more of a regular thing, like we can give things out, like Tasha's, or some of the new books that are coming out. Yeah, we can
0: make it more. Oh my god, yeah!
1: If there is interest in doing
0: so, honestly, Monsters of the Multiverse. I know that one's a little bit old, but, but that was cool. But that, that one's was cool. to Beast, Toma Beast, yeah.
1: But again, we want to thank everybody for the support, but, for the outpouring.
0: Brewmaster Austin, what's your most serious moment at the table? Haven't you ever had one? Hmm. Come on.
1: Are you asking me as a player? Just in or general, DM, what
0: do, what would you say is your most serious moment when the tension in the room was just, you know?
1: I think you know for me, it's one I've mentioned before. Um, is
0: it when your sister blew mm, herself up? No,
1: that was that's a, that was like as a DM, <laughs> yeah. that would be the most serious one, actually. Because your sister's
0: we, character. Hang on, I want to be <laughs> very yeah, clarifying yeah. <laughs> here. No, <yeah>. uh, <laughs> oh, no. as a
1: DM, that would be the one I pick. But yeah. if you're talking about overall, it was in my uh player of mine Rosie ran a a short campaign it was the one I told you about that had the super high passive perception and then he was like adopted into the family and there was this whole like blood of the family necessary to turn the thing off and like I didn't have the blood and so and I'm half adopted for the listeners out there so like I was doing like a really heavy like role play like going through, like, trying to, like, put cuts, like, all over my hand, trying to, like, get this to work, and, like, have in my character so, have a breakdown, yeah. and I'm like, and everyone's, like, trying to, like, calm me down, because everyone else has already disabled their portion of it, and, and I had this moment where I'm like, I'm, like, no! You don't understand! It all worked for you! It worked for you! You're one of them! I'm always the outside! And everyone, like, you could feel the tension. Everyone was just like, and I went through this monologue for, like, maybe 30 seconds, and then, like, it was a pause, and it was like, text you okay buddy i was like oh i was just roleplaying.
0: yeah 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 Yeah. it
1: was so apparently so vivid for everyone else they were like are you good they call you text
0: yeah oh my god we get it you're from texas jesus christ he he. he's a cowboys fan by the way guys i found out earlier i know this is a dnt podcast but yeah uh, what is your I would say it was when I was DMing and I was sitting there and there was a moment with one of my players and this was only recent and I, I've i done it before with like, you know, setting up possible moments and I, I my a couple of my players, one of them in particular told me that he would like to, you know, have a set moment or two with one of the other players and I was like, okay, cool. I'll, you know, set up a scene, I'll let you take it from there. Hmm. And I set up the scene and he started breaking down his history, his backstory, you know, not really alive i've been dead i've been dead forever like and, and the a- aspect of, of like not just because he's like becoming part of this order and things like that but it was it was the fact that he has been had this moment where his family was there his parents were there in the room and they didn't recognize him they hadn't seen him in 20 years because in the elven society that i created uh, there was an order uh, there is an order that somehow if you become get chosen to be part of it you're basically dead Right, wow. you you don't exist like quite, anymore. Uh, interesting, yeah. sort kind of but, like a men in black. Sort of very thing. very much so, but not necessarily. Not like the that same, yeah. Because yeah. they they knew they had a son, right. right? But they just think he died, right? He he was he wasn't chosen, right. or you know, he was chosen uh, to be something negative, and I just he was sitting there breaking it down uh, to my uh, to the other player, and I could just tell they were both so invested. I'm telling you, as he was describing, like you know, my own parents didn't recognize me; they didn't know who I was. I was like, ugh. Right, I felt it emotionally as a DM. Like I was just like, that's that's rough, and uh, I've always talked about my consistent battles with depression in general. So uh, to hear that, right, and to hear that expression and that feeling, I just oh man, it was it was amazing to watch to see these players that, you know, it, it reminded me why I DM'd. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 reminded me yeah, why those, I stepped those into the wrongs. Those amazing. oh my god, yeah. You know, it doesn't help with the sad music currently playing on in the background right now. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, on a very somber note, we will end this episode of Dungeons & Brews. Until next time, part of the prod, part of the brew.